الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على عبد الله ورسوله نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين. So we're continuing on with tafsir, and we reach the tafsir of Surah At-Teen. Now it may be the case that some of you are wondering that this is normally the time that we do Bulugh al-Maram. And that's true, it is normally the time that we do uh, Bulugh al-Maram. But this being the month of Ramadan, then uh, we hope inshallah ta'ala to complete more tafsir of the Qur'an. So we're temporarily pausing the Bulugh al-Maram classes inshallah. And we're going to be continuing with tafsir, inshallah, on both the Tuesday and the Friday classes, bi-idhnillahi ta'ala. We reached the tafsir of Surah At-Teen, Surah At-Teen. And another point to mention, inshallah, just before we begin the class is that we are live streaming the class today because we're a little bit late in getting the video out, but we're also recording the video at the same time. So we'll have a high quality version to upload later on. But for now, we'll just suffice ourselves with the live stream, inshallah. So after praising Allah and asking Allah to exalt the mention and grant peace to our Messenger Muhammad وسلم, and his family and his companions, we begin with the tafsir of Surah At-Teen. Al-Bara ibn Azib radiyallahu anhuma, he narrated, كان النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم يقرأ في سفر في إحدى, في إحدى الركعتين بالتين والزيتون فما سمعت أحدا أحسن صوتا منه صلى الله عليه وسلم. This hadith narrated by al-Bukhari and Muslim and it's also narrated in the uh, the uh, Sunan al-Arba'a, the four books of the Sunan. And it's narrated from al-Bara' ibn Azib that he said that the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم in one of his travels he recited والتين والزيتون in one of the two raka'at. And Al-Bara ibn Azib, he said, I never heard anyone with a more beautiful voice than him. Some of the narrations mentioned that this was Salatul Isha and others, they mentioned it was Salat Al-Maghrib. So the first question is, Wattini Zaytun. The wow here is a qasam. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is swearing an oath and Allah azza wa jal only swears by an oath for something that is mu'azzam, something that is great in the sight of Allah azza wa jal. So it tells us that at-teen and az-zaytun are something great in the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But the question is what is intended by at-teen was-zaytun? And when you read some of the statements of the scholars of tafsir, you would be very surprised by the different statements that it refers to the Masjid al-Aqsa, that it refers to uh, all the different, uh, yani the Masjid that Nuh built when the, when the ship landed on top of the mountain, and all different kinds of opinions. However, the correct opinion here and the one that is consistent with the principles of tafsir is the statement of Mujahid rahimahullah ta'ala. He said, it is teenukum hadha. It is the well-known teen, the well-known fig that all of us know, the fig that all of us know of that fruit that we're all aware of and we know what it is. That is what is intended. And likewise, as zaytun what is intended by az zaytun is also the zaytun, the olive that we know, uh, the, the, the olive uh, that, we, that all of us know. However, uh, Imam ibn Qayyim, rahimahullah ta'ala, he found a way or he mentioned in some of his, in, the, in, in, in uh, his commentary on this ayah, he mentioned a way in which it is possible to kind of reconcile or bring together some of these opinions in a way that is consistent, insha'Allah ta'ala. And that is that first of all, we start by saying a teen and a zaytun refer to the fig and the olive that we 
know of, that's in the first instance. Because there is a principle of tafsir that it is you are obliged in tafsir to make the tafsir of the ayah according to what is commonly understood and normally understood. And you shouldn't go away from what is uh, apparent and what is clear from the, from the ayah to a, a strange and a rare and a, and a difficult tafsir. You shouldn't go away from that without an evidence. So it's important that we implement that principle. It's very important that we, we follow that principle. That we don't come to an ayah and make a tafsir that is very far away from what is apparent from the statement of Allah. A teen is well known as zaytun is well known. Teen is a fig and zaytun is an olive. So it's not right for us to go away from that and then to say the teen it refers to the mount, the, the masjid where Nuh prayed and the ship. And all of this is going way, way away from what the clear words of the Quran mean. So it's not right for us to do that without a dalil, without a dalil. However, Imam Ibn al-Qayyim rahimahullah ta'ala, he brings together a beautiful way, he brings this together in a beautiful way. He starts off by telling us that the teen and the zaytun refers to the fruit, the, the olive and the fig. And then he says that by sort of when we when by by definition or when we expand the meaning out, it also includes the tree from which those two things came, or the plant from which those two things came, the tree from which those two things came. Those two things came from a particular kind of shajara, particular kind of tree. And if the fruit is something which is blessed and kathir or barakah, it has a great deal of barakah in it and a great deal of benefit in it. And we know that because Allah swore by it and Allah only swears by something which is hugely significant in the sight of Allah. So this tells us the greatness of a teen and a zaytun. And it tells us the benefits, the many benefits that the teen and the zaytun have. And Allah Azza told us elsewhere in the Quran, يُقَدُ مِنْ شَجَرَةٍ مُبَارَكَةٍ لَا شَرْقِيَّةٍ وَلَا غَرْبِيَّةٍ Allah told us that the the olive, it comes from a shajara, which is mubarakah, a tree which is blessed. And the barakah that comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that Allah has placed in the teen and the zaytun is not just in the fruit, but also in the tree. And then, if we've established that the barakah Allah has placed in the fruit that comes from those trees, and in the tree themselves, then it is also possible for us to say that the place which has a lot of those trees in it and a lot of those fruits come from it is also by definition mubarakah. It's a, it's a place which is, which is blessed. And there is, uh, there is, uh, Evidences, there are evidences from the Quran, from the Hadith, which indicate some of the places that Allah has blessed. And these are places which are, for example, known for the olive. For example, uh, some of the scholars, they mentioned that the word Zaytun, it refers to Al-Aqsa, Masjid Al-Aqsa. And even though the word Zaytun doesn't refer to Masjid Al-Aqsa, the word Zaytun refers to the olive. But it's, it is possible to say that Allah has already told us in the beginning of Surah Al-Isra, that he blessed Al-Masjid Al-Aqsa. Subhanallahi asra bi abadihi layla min Al-Masjid Al-Haram ila Al-Masjid Al-Aqsa alladhi barakna hawlah. That we blessed all around it. And it's known for its olives. And Allah told us that the tree is shajaratun, is a tree which is yuqadu min shajaratin mubarakah. It's a blessed tree. Therefore, it is possible for us without going into weird and strange tafasir that don't have an evidence, it is possible for us to say that the fruit, the tree, and the place of that tree are all places which are included within the blessing and which are intended here. And from the evidence 
that shows us that the place is also intended here. The place of those trees is also intended here is the statement of Allah by the fig and the olive and the tour, which we're going to talk about the mountain, the tour of Sinin, the tour, some of them said the tour of uh, Sina, where Allah just spoke to Musa. So the teen is a fruit. The zaytun is the, the olive that grows on the tree. And then Allah mentions two places. He mentions At-Tur, and he mentions Makkah. So from this, it isn't so far away for us to say that you can also link At-Tin with Zaytun to the places where the Tin and the Zaytun grow. And from this is what is alluded to by Imam Ibn Qayyim rahimahullah ta'ala with regard to the Prophets. And that is that if we uh, if we look at these four things that are mentioned, there is an indication of the prophets, the, the major prophets and where they came from, alayhimu salatu wassalam. So as for uh, a teen and a zaytun, then some of the scholars, they related this to a sham. They related this to the land of Asham, and we know that this is the land of, or from which, or to which Isa ibn Maryam السلام, he was sent. And at Tur, we know it relates to Musa, and it's it's famous in the story of Musa. Watini was Zaytun, and it said that Atin, it said the Zaytun refers to Isa and the Teen. Some of the scholars, they related it to Nuh uh, And so we have an indication, we have an indication which kind of gives us a benefit that there is an ishara here. There is an indication of Ulul Azmi min al-Rusul, the major prophets, Nuh, Isa, Musa, Ibrahim and Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And that's an ishara. And an ishara or an indication is not the same as a, uh, a tafsir as such. Because the tafsir of it is as it says. Wattini was zaytun. The fig, Allah swears by the fig, Allah swears by the olive. Allah swears by the mountain in Sina, which in which Allah upon which Allah brought, or to which Allah brought Musa and spoke to him. And Amin, it refers to Makkah. That's the tafsir of the ayat. But there is an ishara, there is an indication, or kind of like a, a um, some like a point that you can take from this or something which is indicated within it that is an indication that kind of alludes to the prophets and the messengers والسلام, particularly Nuh and Musa and Isa and Muhammad والسلام, and also Ibrahim who went between Bayt al-Maqdis and between Mecca. So the Ulul Azmi min al-Rusul their places where they came from, there is an ishara to them. And the reason I use the word ishara, an indication is, there's a difference between an ishara and a tafsir. And this we could also say, even when we spoke about the statement of Allah we said that there is no way that you can claim that the, that the tafsir of the ayah is that the nasiyah is the place where lying happens. You can't claim that it's the tafsir of the ayah because there's no evidence in the language of the Arabs or in the statements of the scholars of tafsir which would support that 
Allah's statement is a proof that the nasiyah, the front of the head, is the, is the place where someone lies from. However, you, the most you could say is there is an ishara, is it just indication, like there's just a reference to it or an indication of it. And that's, that's, I think, perhaps the best way that we can bring the tafsir together from all of these different statements of the scholars of tafsir and how some of them said that it refers to Nuh or the Masjid of Nuh, the Masjid of where Isa uh, prayed, Musa and so on. How do we reconcile these together? We say the tafsir of the ayah is the fig, the olive, the mountain, Mecca. That's the tafsir of these ayat. But there is an ishara, an indication, or the ayat allude to the places where the prophets والسلام, came from. And that's different from saying it's the tafsir of the ayah. That that's where the, that this ayah refers to the tafsir. The tafsir of it is that this is the place where Nuh came from, and this is the place. But there is an ishara, there's an indication, or the ayah alludes to the places of blessings where those prophets, والسلام, they came from and they resided in. So there is a mention of the teen and the place of the teen. There is the mention of the zaytun and the place of the zaytun. There is the mention of al-tur as a place. And it's said that al-tur, as we're going to come to, is a mountain which contains those trees that bring, bring out those fruits. And there is a mention of Makkah, and that alludes to or indicates the Ulul Azmi min al Rusul, the major prophets, والسلام, And I think this is the safest and the most uh, the safest and the most balanced way of bringing these different opinions together without getting into strange tafsir which is sometimes, you know, it does happen. People get into the habit of really, really, you know, strange tafsir that are ba'ida, they're very far away from the language used in the Qur'an. They're not, they're not in line with the language that the Qur'an uses and they don't seem to have any basis for them. And perhaps they might be based in the Israeliyat, the statements of Bani Israel, but they don't have a real, you know, they don't have anything substantial to make it a tafsir of the Qur'an. And it's not befitting for us to, to, to come to the statement of Allah in a clear Arabic language and then take that statement away from its apparent clear meaning. However, there may be isharat, there may be some indications or some alluding to and some benefits that you can take from that. And there is certainly an indication here of ulul azmi min al-rusul, an indication of Nuh and Musa, an indication of Isa and Ibrahim and Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam in terms of indicating the land of the fig, the land of the zaytun, the olive, At-Tur, the place where Musa was spoken to by Allah and Makkah and that gathers together the place of or all the places of Ulul Azmi min al-Rusul. And that's why this tafsir is reported from some of the Salaf rahimahumullah ta'ala. It's not a tafsir that no, none of the Salaf said. And that's why if we gather it together like that, and we bring it together like that, inshallah, this is the balanced way of making the tafsir of these ayat, inshallah ta'ala. Allah swears by At-Tur. And At-Tur is a mountain. Tur is a mountain. Uh, Ibn Jarir, Rahimahullah uh, Ta'ala, he mentioned that it is Jabalun Dhu Shajar. It's a mountain covered in trees. And it's said that it is a mountain which is covered in trees that bring many fruits. That's a statement that's reported from Mujahid uh, that it's, it is a mountain that is covered in many trees that bring about or that bring, that, that have or that bear fruit. And it's said that it is a beautiful mountain or a blessed mountain. In any case, uh, At-Tur, uh, here, Tur Waturi Sinin. This word Sinin brings us to an interesting question. And that question is, is 
or do there exist in the Quran non-Arabic words, words that are not Arabic? So this is something in which there's a lot of discussion uh, in the science of ulum al-Quran and the science of tafsir and a lot of going back and forward and a lot of heated debate. So it helps to break the issue down into parts. To break the issue down into parts. So first of all, as for uh, sentences or uh, parts of sentences, uh, sentence construction, you know, things like that, either uh, sentences or partial sentences, then there are no non-Arabic sentences or partial sentences within the Qur'an. That is something which there is no doubt about. And as for people's names, people's names, then the names in the Qur'an are the Arabized versions of those names. And this is, inshallah ta'ala, something which is clear, that the Arabs, when they came to foreign names, the Arabs prior to the Qur'an, when they came to foreign names, names that were from another language, they Arabized them. They brought them into an Arabic pronunciation. They brought them into an Arabic pronunciation. I, they, brought them in, they, they, they brought them into the Arabic pronunciation of the name. And they didn't leave the name as it was pronounced in its original language. So it said, for example, regarding Musa, that in Hebrew, it would be something like Moshe, Moshe, or something like that, or Moshe. Something like that. The Arabs never kept it like that. They never kept the name in the way that it was pronounced in the original language. They, they immediately brought it into a proper Arabic pronunciation of that name. And they gave that name an Arabic form. And the Arabic form was Musa or uh, Musa. These two are the proper, or this Musa is the proper Arabic form of that name. And that's how the Arabs, that was their tradition and that was their language. That's how they dealt with foreign names. They, they brought them into Arabic pronunciation. And the Qur'an maintained that tradition. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, uh, Allah azza wa jal, He uh, kept these names in the form that was known by the Arabs. And He didn't refer to these names in the pronunciation of the original language. So these are Arabic versions or Arabic presentations of the names that were originally in other languages. So in that sense, these are also pure Arabic because they, are, they have been brought into Arabic. They were known in Arabic before uh, the revelation of the Quran to the Prophet Muhammad And the Arabs, that was their culture and their tradition is that when this name had, there was a foreign name like that, especially a well, well known in that way that became famous they had in an Arabic pronunciation of that name that they would pronounce. And the real difference of opinion comes into individual words. Are there individual words in the Quran that are not Arabic? So we're not talking about names because the names are all converted into Arabic form. Uh, they're converted into the proper Arabic pronunciation of that name. And that's consistent with the statement of Allah Azawajal uh, regarding the Quran, in in a clear Arabic tongue. So the names are converted, if they are foreign names, into a pure Arabic form, the pure Arabic pronunciation of that same name. It is the same name, it is truthful, that's really what the name was, but it is given in the form that was known by the Arabs. So that leaves us with the question of whether there are individual words in the Qur'an that are not of Arabic origin or that are Mu'arraba, they've been brought into Arabic, they've been loaned into Arabic. 
And of course, Allah told us the Quran is in a clear Arabic language, bilisan in Arabi and Mubin. So we have to be very careful here that we don't uh, attribute something to the Quran that is not uh, true or say something about the Quran that is not true. And in reality, uh, this issue is one where there is there are other possible answers to it. You can say that the words are shared among different languages or what's to say that those words were not Arabic first and then brought into the other language and they became famous in that other language and so on. But the Quran is bilisanin arabiyin mubin in a clear Arabic language, in a clear Arabic language. So all of the sentences, partial sentences, clauses, whatever you call those bits of sentences, all of those are in pure Arabic. All of the names that are foreign are pronounced in the way that is pure, the pure Arabic pronunciation of those names. And all of the words that are within it, the individual words, those words, there is no, no clear evidence to say that those words are foreign. Rather, uh, some of those words, and it may have been shared among different languages, or they may have become famous in other languages, but in reality, there isn't really a, a clear way that I can see we can emphatically say that the word sinin, for example, is not an Arabic word, or that it's a word that was loaned into Arabic or brought into Arabic. So this word sinin, then, what does it refer to? This word uh, sinin, it tells us that we're talking about a specific mountain because Tur could refer to any mountain with, with many trees that bring about fruits, as Ibn Jarir, he said, and Mujahid said. So in that case, uh, that could refer to any mountain. But when we say, well, Turi, Sinin, the word Sinin tells us we're talking about a specific mountain. And there is a Qira'ah which is not Mutawatira. And we have to be careful here that... that, that and, and I don't want to get too much into Ulum al-Qur'an, too deep into it, but there are uh, recitations of the Qur'an that are reported authentically from the early generations which are not consistent with the Qur'an as we know it with the standards that have been set. And those are known as Qira'at Shadha. They are known as non-conforming recitations. Uh, for example, uh, an extra word or a change in the word that doesn't match the Mus'haf that was agreed by the Sahaba radiallahu anhum, the Mus'haf of Uthman, it doesn't match that Mus'haf. Now we're not talking about the different Qira'at here that are famous like, for example, Hafs and Asim and Warsh and Nafi' and so on and Qalun. We're not talking about things like Khalaf and Hamza and so on. We're not talking about these Qira'at because all of these match the standard for being a proven part of the Qur'an. They all match the standard. But there are some things that are authentically reported, but they don't quite match the standard of being from the Qur'an. So they are recitations that people, individuals used to recite and they're authentic from those individuals, but they don't reach the standard of being from the Qur'an. They don't reach that standard. And we call these Qira'at Shadha. So in some of the Qira'at Shadha, some of the Qira'at which are non-standard Qira'at. Now the non-standard Qira'at, there's difference of opinion about how we deal with them. Do we consider them to be from the Qur'an or not? But broadly speaking, the minimum we can say about them is that they are at least, at a minimum, they are uh, any equivalent to an explanation of the ayah or a tafsir or like a hadith of the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and they are they are at least a minimum they're a tafsir and so you have a benefit from them so in some of the qiraat the styles of reading which are not they don't match the standard to bring them up to the standard required to consider to be considered from the Quran it is recited waturi sina not sinin, but sina. And that tells us that the, the word sinin, it means sina. That's, that's the benefit that we take from it. Because these qira'at, these different recitations, which don't match the standard, they don't meet the standard of being from the Qur'an 
proper, but they still give us the benefit of being, uh, yani explaining to us and making the tafsir of what the words mean. So here, Sinin, it means Sina, the mountain in Sina, which is the mountain to which Allah called Musa, Allahu Musa taklima, and Allah spoke to Musa with, uh, Allah spoke to Musa with clear speech, and Allah spoke to Musa directly. And again, that I think is the, uh, with regard to Sinin, is the safer opinion and the stronger opinion as opposed to those people who said the word sinin, that it's a, it, it's, an, it's a word that isn't originally Arabic and it means beauty or it means this or that or the other. And it's better and safer that we, like we said, we shouldn't go towards that opinion without an evidence. Rather, what is safer is to say that sinin, the meaning of it is the same as sina. It is the, it's a specific mountain and it's the mountain upon which Allah Azza wa Jal spoke to Musa directly. And I swear by this city which is Amin. This is Bittifaq Ahl al-Tafsir by consensus of Ahl al-Tafsir, Al-Balad Al-Amin is Makkah. There's no difference of opinion among the scholars of Tafsir that I know of in that. Al-Balad Al-Amin, it is Makkah. But the word Amin it can have two. Uh, it can have two meanings to it, like the word Karim. You know this whole thing over saying Ramadan Karim and so on. But the word Karim can have two meanings to it. The word Karim it can mean Karim and Makroom. It can mean Fa'il and Maf'ul. So it, all of these words that are like that Karim and Amin, they can have two meanings. One as a subject and one as an object. So. Uh, it can either mean al-balad al-amin al-balad al-amin yani a, a city which is uh, safe or a balad which is ma'moon which is ma'moon amin or ma'moon and the word amin this is the opinion of Ibn Jarir rahimahullah ta'ala and he took it from the statement of Allah azza wa jal haraman amina we have made a haram which is amin we have made a haram, which is amin, a place of safety. So either it's a place of safety or a place that brings about safety for the people in it. The two opinions are not so far away from each other uh, in that sense. وَهَذَا الْبَلَدِ الْأَمِينِ لَقَدْ خَلَقْنَا الْإِنسَانَ فِي أَحْسَنِ تَقْوِيمِ Here, لَقَدْ خَلَقْنَا الْإِنسَانِ is the answer or, or, the, or the, the thing which is the response to the oath. Allah swore by a teen and a zaytun, by the fig and the olive. And Allah swore by the mount of a sinin or sina. And Allah swore by the city of Makkah, the city of safety. Then Allah explained that the reason for that oath, yani that swear, the, the swearing that Allah SWT swore by the teen and the zaytun and turi sinin and hadha al-balad al-ameen laqad khalaqna al-insan because of this we have certainly created mankind ahsani taqweem in the best uh, taqweem we're going to come to that in a moment before that I had written a note from among the things that Ibn al-Qayyim and I, I just, I, I wrote this note, I don't know why I wrote it on this page, probably I was, uh, I was busy writing the, the notes on the tafsir, and I just made a note of it, because I found it from the statement of Ibn al-Qayyim, that he said, from the barakah of the teen, of the fig, is that it is an antidepressant. And I found that very interesting, uh, that he said this, rahimahullah uh, ta'ala, that, it, the, 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 the teen, the fig, is an antidepressant. And he said even looking at it and eating it, both of them, it brings about, it, it removes, you know, it, like it acts like an antidepressant. Like the word used is al-mutharrihat, uh, the things which cause a person not to be sad. And they, they're basically like an antidepressant. So this is a very interesting statement that there are even some foods a person can eat that can remove a feeling of doubt, feeling down, feeling depressed. There are some even foods that a person can eat. And we know the blessings of the fig, the olive are numerous 
in Islam and that's why Allah swore by them in this surah but I just made a note of that because I think I was I came to that quote later on and I just made a note of it لَقَدْ خَلَقْنَا الْإِنسَانَ فِي أَحْسَنِ تَقْوِينَ We have certainly created man in the best of taqween. So the taqween refers to ذو uh, قوام that the, the man, mankind has been created in, a, in an excellent, in the best of al-istiwa um, wal-i'tidal, like balance, he's balanced and the best shape and uh, that he, he stands upright and there is nobility in that. And from it is that, for example, if you look at the other animals that crawl around on four legs, or the snake that slides through the earth on its belly. And you look at the animals that eat by rubbing their face in their food and they swallow their food like that. Look at the, how Allah has honored Bani Adam. That they, they stand upright. They stand upright. They eat with their hands and they bring their food into their mouth. They have honor like that. وَلَقَدْ كَرَّمْنَا Bani Adam. We have certainly honored the children of Adam. So the Ahsani Taqweem here refers to the way that they stand upright and the way they carry themselves, the way that man carries himself in the sense of the fact that you stand up straight, walk with honor on two feet, the fact that you eat by bringing the food up to your mouth and you don't rub your face in your food, you don't crawl along the ground. This is from the Taqweem, the Ahsani Taqweem that Allah created mankind with وَلَقَدْ كَرَّمْنَا بَنِي آدَمَ and we certainly have honored the children of Adam and this taqween is one of the ways that the children of Adam have been honored over the animals and the other makhluqat, the other things which Allah created uh, and here it's worth noting that the Jumhur of the Mufassirin, the majority of the scholars of Tafsir they referred this ayah, لَقَدْ خَلَقْنَا الْإِنسَانَ فِي أَحْسَنِ تَقْوِيمِ We've created man in the best form, in the best way, standing upright, standing up tall, honorable, in the way that he walks, the way that man eats, the way that man carries himself. That's what the majority of the scholars of tafsir, they took it to be the appearance of the person and the, the physical nature of mankind. But also it is possible to also talk about the internal nature of mankind here. Even though this is not the most apparent tafsir of the ayah, we can include it. We can include it within the ayah that from the ahsan or from the ihsan of the taqweem of Bani Adam, how Allah has given them the, the, the balance and the fact that they stand up tall and the fact that they have the excellent form. From this also, is that Allah is the is the nature that Allah created the internal qualities of mankind, like knowledge and intellect and will and uh, the natural inclination to worship Allah, the fitrah. All of these things are or can be included within Laqad Khalaqna al-Insana fi Ahsani taqween in the best fashion. Even though the best fashion and the best form, the apparent meaning and the opinion of the majority of the scholars of tafsir is that it refers to the outer aspects of mankind, the outward physical aspects. It can also refer to the internal and inward aspects as well. There's no harm in including those like knowledge and intellect and will and the intrinsic desire to worship Allah, the fitrah, all of these things are from the things that Allah has perfected and given to the children of Adam and honored the children of Adam with over many of the other things that Allah created. وَلَقَدْ كَرَّمْنَا بَنِي Adam, And we certainly have honored the children of Adam. لَقَدْ خَلَقْنَا الْإِنسَانَ فِي أَحْسَنِ تَقْوِيمِ ثُمَّ رَدَدَنَاهُ أَسْفَلَ سَافِلِينَ then we return that same man that we created in the, with the best form, standing upright, walking with honor, uh, behaving with honor, carrying themselves with honor, 
eating with honor, we return them back to be at the lowest of the low. The lowest of the low. And in fact, here, if you look at the fact that it indicates that Allah has preferred Bani Adam over many of the creation, different creation that Allah has created. And here, it indicates that Allah can make that man that he has honored so much, he can make that man lower than the animals, lower than all of the rest of the creation. That man that started off at the highest position of honor, that Allah honored him in the way that he behaves, the way he carries himself, the way he walks, the way he eats. Allah honored him and then Allah lowers him down, lower than even the animals. Lower than the even the most filthy of animals, he becomes even lower than them. Asfal min al-baha'im, lower than cattle, lower than the low, the lowest of the low. Look at what a fall from grace that is. What a fall from grace. That mankind starts off with so much honor and becomes asfal asafilin, the lowest of the low and the worst of the worst, even lower than the baha'im, than the cattle, even lower than the animals, even lower than the, you know, the animals that are dirty and, and have a low status, lower than all of them. The, that person went from being so high and fell to be so low, asfal asafilin. Now here, Asfal uh, Safilin, the scholars differed about it, and there are two main opinions about this word Asfal Safilin. The strongest opinion, the opinion which I believe is, uh, is the correct one, and Imam Ibn al-Qayyim, he defended this opinion to the point that he brought 10 evidences that this opinion is correct and the other opinion is not. That is that Asfal Asafilin refers to the hellfire. That Asfal Asafilin, it refers to the hellfire. And it doesn't necessarily have to mean the lowest part of the hellfire. Because the hellfire in itself is Asfal Asafilin. The hellfire is the lowest of the low. Uh, because some of the, the, the scholars they mentioned here, because we are told that the munafiqeen are in the lowest part of the hell. Inna al-munafiqeen fi dark al-asfali min al-nar. The fire is darakat, it is levels going down. And the worst of the worst is the munafiqeen. I mean, first of all, there is no, there is no reason why along with the munafiqeen, there cannot be some of the, some of the uh, other disbelievers and some of the worst of them or whatever. But also, Generally, the reference here to Asfal Asafilin, it doesn't have to mean Asfal and Nar. It doesn't have to mean the lowest part of the fire. But just generally that the fire is the lowest of the low. Uh, and uh, that is reported from Ali ibn Abi Talib that he said, It is the fire. Some of the fire is lower than others. All of it is low. It's, it's the lowest of the low. But within the fire, there are darakat, there are levels going down, and not darajat. Darajat goes up, like in Jannah. Darajat. Darakat, like downward levels, levels going downwards. Uh, and all of the fire is asfal asafilin, but within the fire, there are levels going worse and worse and worse. So if that is the correct opinion, and that is the, inshallah, the opinion that I said, Al-Imam ibn al-Qayyim, he defended it to the utmost, this opinion is the correct opinion. What is the other opinion? The other opinion is mentioned by Imam Ibn Jarir al-Tabari rahimahullah ta'ala and others and that is that asfal asafilin refers to the weakness of old age. Al-haram, being so old that you become like a child. You know, you can't even go to the bathroom uh, by yourself anymore, you can't feed yourself anymore, you don't remember the people around you, and you become like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala after He gave you such honor and you walked on the earth, stood upright, and you 
carried yourself with dignity and honor, ahsani taqweem, in the best fashion, then Allah takes you back as though you were a small child. As though you had all of that honor and all of that dignity and all of that, uh, if you like, uh, sort of, not pride, but all of that, yeah, all of the dignity that you had, all of that dignity goes away from you. Asfala safirin. That was the opinion of Ibn Jarir. Rahimahullah uh, ta'ala. However, this, it has, uh, it has a problem. And the problem is with the subsequent ayah. إِلَّا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَعَمِلُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ Except for those who believe and do good deeds. So here, how do we, if we take the opinion of Ibn Jarir, that أَسْفَلَ سَافِلِينَ means old age and the, you know, a person losing all of their dignity in old age. Then how do you explain إِلَّا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَعَمِلُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ Except those who believe and do good deeds. Does that tell us that those who believe and do good deeds will not suffer the um, lack of dignity that comes with with old age? And he like, does, is that is that the case? That was the opinion of some of the scholars. They said that no one who memorizes the Quran will be afflicted by ard al-umar, will be afflicted by the indignity or the lack of dignity from old age. They will get old. There's no issue about people who are memorizing the Quran getting old, but that they won't lose their faculties, they won't lose their dignity in old age. That was the opinion of some of the scholars. Some of them said, you hear them saying statements, the one who memorizes the Quran will never lose their dignity in old age. Like that principle, qaida. That's the opinion of some of the scholars. Others, they said, no, that's not the case. They said, the meaning of amanu, it doesn't mean accept. Illa here it means walakin or it means amanu. But those who believe and do good deeds will have an unlimited, will have an unending reward, a reward that never ends or never ceases. And they linked this to old age. They said there's a difference between the believer in old age and the disbeliever in old age. Because when you reach old age and, and you and you suffer that lack of dignity, because not everybody, I mean, people reach old age and, and not everybody has that ardalil-umar, that, that situation where they reach old age and they lose their dignity and they become like a small child once again and they, uh, you know, they lose all of the abilities that they had. Not everybody experiences that. So uh, here... The difference is that if the believer experiences it, what happens for the believer? The reward of everything they used to do is written for them in that time. So let's say we have a believer and that believer reaches old age and loses control of their faculties and loses their, you know, the same, that, that dignity they used to have. The, the, all of the acts of worship they used to do are written for them while they are in that situation. So the illa here, in the opinion of Ibn Jarir here, that illa, this asfal this, safirin uh, refers to the indignity, the loss of dignity from old age. That here, illa alladheena amanu wa amilu salihat Some of the scholars said illa means lakin, it means but, it's not talking, it's not connected. Illa here is not connected to the previous statement. So it's not the case that the believers won't reach old age or the believers won't lose their you know, their faculties in old age. But here there's an opinion that it is, it is, it's connected. The two are connected. It's the same thing. But what it's saying is the believer will have their reward written for them in old age, the same that they used to do when they were young. And even though I don't believe this is the correct tafsir of the ayah, and I, I believe the opinion of Ibn al-Qayyim is correct, and Ibn al-Qayyim, he brought evidence upon evidence why this cannot refer to old age or should not refer to old age. But even if it does, one of the benefits you can take from this, that even if we take this opinion that it refers to old age, that this is true, that the believer continues to have their reward written for them that they used to do when they were young. And that's, you know, subhanAllah reminds you of the ahadith that tell you to, you know, badir, 
بالأعمال. Rush to do good deeds while you have the opportunity. Subhanallah, look at this issue of COVID-19 right now. We're all stuck in the house. We can't go to the masjid in many countries, many places. We can't go to the masjid. Those people who used to go to the masjid five times a day, what's been written for them in the whole time they're at home in this COVID-19, it's written that they went to the masjid, went to the fajr, went to dhuhr, went to asr, went to maghrib, went to isha. Somebody got sick and they got afflicted by the virus. They used to read the Quran. They used to read one juz every day. What's written for them when they're in intensive care? One juz per day, one juz per day, one juz per day. Because what's written for you when you are sick is what you used to do when you're healthy. And what's written for you when you're old and uh, feeble and infirm and you're not able to do the things anymore is what you used to do when you were young. And what's written for you when the restrictions are put on you is what you used to do when those restrictions were not upon you. So ultimately, this tells us the importance that we have to rush to do good deeds while we have the opportunity. Because if the opportunity is taken away, then the reward of those will be written for you. لَهُمْ أَجْرٌ غَيْرُ مَمْنُونَ They will have a reward that will never cease. And if you see now the connection between that and between what Ibn Jariya said about old age. إِلَّا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَعَمِلُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ فَلَهُمْ أَجْرٌ غَيْرُ مَمْنُونَ Except those who believe and do good deeds, they will have a reward that doesn't cease. Meaning that both of you will get old. The kafir gets old, the mu'min gets old. But when the mu'min gets old, their rewards don't stop. As for the kafir, when they get old, they never had any good deeds that they could fall back on, that could be written for them. So that's where the difference is in old age. As we said though, the correct opinion and the opinion that we take to be the stronger opinion in the ayah is that asfala safirin refers to the fire. And therefore, إِلَّا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَعَمِلُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ is an exception to mankind who, uh, after Allah gave them so much honor and so much nobility and so much dignity, Allah Azzawajal stripped mankind of that dignity and that honor and put them into Jahannam except for إِلَّا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَعَمِلُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ except those who believe and do good deeds فَلَهُمْ أَجْرٌ غَيْرُ مَمْنُونَ they will have a reward that will not cease what is the reward that will not cease? if it doesn't refer to the old age being written for you what you did when you were young and it, the ayat are talking about the fire then the reward that will not cease is Jannah the reward that will not cease فَلَهُمْ أَجْرٌ غَيْرُ مَمْنُونَ غَيْرُ مَقْتُوعٍ It will not be cut off from them. Their reward will be everlasting. And it's also said uh, that it means منقوص and that was the opinion of Ibn Jarir a reward that doesn't decrease. So it can be say a reward that doesn't get cut off it doesn't stop or it doesn't decrease. And it doesn't uh, it doesn't stop or it doesn't decrease. And it's also said غَيْرُ محسوب. يعني it can't be it, it can't be counted or it can't be that no one will no one's gonna count or oh, you've had this reward you can't have anything else just one drink for you just one for you no no not, not two for you just one for you and it will be an unlimited and without any حساب uh, like Allah Azawajal rewards بِغَيْرِ حساب without any Reward without any account. Sorry, Allah rewards without any account, without taking any, without there being any account of what Allah gives. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives from His unlimited bounty, subhanahu wa ta'ala. Uh, and these are all three opinions regarding this word ghayru, mamnoon. And the most common is ghayru maktu, that it will not be cut off, ghayru manqus, that it will not be decreased, or ghayru mahsub, that it will, that nobody will be counting. The rewards that are given out, and that you've only had one of these or one of those, you can't have more than one, and it will be an, un an unlimited reward. فَمَا يُكَذِّبُكَ بَعْدُ بِالدِّينِ فَمَا يُكَذِّبُكَ بَعْدُ بِالدِّينِ Here again, uh, there is a, 
a lot of discussion among the scholars of tafsir as to whom this ayah is addressed to. And broadly speaking, we're going to look at three different opinions as to whom this ayah is addressed to. The first is that it is addressed to Ibn Adam, to the children of Adam. فَمَا يُكَذِّبُكَ بَعْدُ بِالدِّينَ Meaning, مَا هِيَ Meaning, أَيُّ شَيْءٍ What thing is it that makes you deny Allah or deny, makes you a denier or a disbeliever after, after, after seeing this in a deen? Let me go through that again one more time. فَمَا what is it that causes you to become a, a someone who denies the religion or denies a deen al jaza? Two opinions about a deen. So we break it down. A deen. Uh, it's said that a deen is al jaza wal hisab, and that's the opinion of Ibn Jarir that the deen here it means al jaza wal hisab. It means the, the recompense and the accounting Yawm Al-Qiyamah. So how can you, what thing is it that makes you deny the resurrection after this? Any after what you have heard. After Allah told you about the teen and the Zaytun and the Tori Sinin and Mecca, the city of safety. And after Allah showed you how he created Bani Adam and honored them in the best fashion and then how some of them are returned to become like the lowest of the law and the reward of the believers, the everlasting reward of the believers. So after all of the evidences you have heard in this surah and in the other revelation that preceded it from the Quran, what is it that after that makes you what thing makes you deny the resurrection after this has come to you? After this Qur'an has come to you? After all of this has come to you, this Qur'an, this evidence, these ayat, this surah, after this has come to you, what makes you deny the resurrection? It's also said that the word deen, it means the the ruling of Allah Azza wa Jalla, and this narrated from Ibn Abbas عنهما, that it means Hukmullah. Uh, and perhaps that relates to the next ayah, Alaysa Allahu bi ahkamil hakimin. What is it that makes you after this deny Allah's, Allah's hukm, yani what Allah has ruled and what Allah has judged? And that's broadly the same whether it refers to the kafir or whether it refers to Ibn Adam in general, whether it's referring to mankind in general. What makes you, and if you're not from those who believe and do good deeds, what makes you deny the resurrection after this evidence has come to you? But there is another opinion, and this opinion will, when you first read it, will surprise you. That this ayah is directed to the Prophet Hold on a second. How can this ayah be directed to the Prophet They said that here the ayah, those people who held that the ayah is directed to the Prophet and among them Ibn Jarir al-Tabari rahimahullah ta'ala, they said that ma here, it doesn't mean what thing. It means man. It means who. So who is it? that denies you, O Muhammad. Af, who, that denies you, uh, O Muhammad, after this. And if a man yukadhibuka, ya Muhammad, ba'du biddin. Who denies your, uh, what you tell the people about the resurrection, and what you've informed them about Yawm al-Din, the day of recompense, and the rulings of Allah and His judgments, after you have informed this to the people, who can deny you, O Muhammad? Who can deny you, O Muhammad? And it's very important that when we say this ayah refers to the Prophet what refers to the Prophet is not the takdeeb, is not denying the resurrection, because our Prophet that you cannot 
You know, you could not imagine to say such words about the Prophet That's not what's intended. What's intended here is how can a person deny you or Muhammad? Any, what you tell about the resurrection and what you inform about Yawm Al-Qiyamah, how can a person deny you? Or how can a person reject what you are saying about the resurrection after this? Uh, and a takdeeb here as it relates to the Rasul any denying the messenger is of, uh, there are two meanings of the word takdeeb that come in the Quran. Uh, there is takdeeb, meaning accusing someone of being a liar. And this is what is found in the statement of Allah O Muhammad, they do not accuse you of being a liar. But the other meaning of takdeeb is, uh, is jahdul haqq, rejecting the truth and being uh, obstinate and full of pride and arrogance and and turning away and saying it's not true, even though the person in reality knows that it's true. This is the takdeeb that Quraysh had of the Prophet Muhammad Because they didn't accuse him of being a liar. They didn't actually say, oh Muhammad, you are lying about this. Because they knew of his truthfulness. But the meaning of lying that they had here, or takdeeb, denying, is that they knew him to be truthful but they turned away from the truth after it came to them. They knew that he was truthful, but they denied it. So there's lying and there's denying. The meaning here is denial and not lying. Because Allah said, They do not accuse you of being a liar. They don't accuse you of being a liar. However, what they do is they deny what you say. They say, we don't believe it. But they don't say you're a liar. And that's a, a distinction which is subtle, but it's a distinction in the way that the Quraysh dealt with the Prophet They never said to, them, to, to him, O Messenger of Allah, or Muhammad, you are a liar. Instead, they say, we don't believe. We deny what you say. We don't accept it. We don't believe in it. We don't believe in it. But they never said about him, فَإِنَّهُمْ لَا يُكَثِّبُونَكَ They don't accuse you of being a liar. And he was known for being, uh, for being truthful, Salawatullahi wa salamu And that's how we hold the words lying when it comes in the Quran in relation to what the Quraysh said about the Prophet that there are two things. There is denying, there is accusing him of being a person who is known for being a liar. They never said to him that you are known of being known for being a liar, but when they accused him of that of lying, it's denial. And we don't accept what you say. What you're saying is khilaf al-waqi'. And that's why the word kathib in Arabic, it can be used to mean deliberately lying. And it can be used to mean that what you're saying is just not true. Even whether you whether you mean it or not, or whether, but, but what you're saying is not true. Quraysh said about the Prophet Muhammad Wasallam, what you're saying is not true. What you're saying is not true. But they never said to him that you are a liar. فَإِنَّهُمْ لَا They do not accuse you of lying. أَلَيْسَ اللَّهُ بِأَحْكَمِ الْحَاكِمِينَ isn't Allah ahkam al-hakimin, the most, in ahkam it tells us the most, and ahkam it relates to two things, the most in what? The most in al-hukam and al-hikmah, because uh, here ahkam al-hakimin refers to al-hukam wal-hikmah, that in judgment Allah Azza wa Jal is ahkam al-hakimin, Allah Azza wa Jal is the most fair and the best in judging among anyone who judges. And Allah also as it relates to Al-Hikmah, Allah is the most wise of all those who have wisdom. So Allah His Hukam, there is no Hukam after the Hukam of Allah There is no ruling or judgment after the judging of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. When the judgment of Allah comes, there is nobody that can re refute that or go against it or repel it. And likewise, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has hikmatun baligha, infinite wisdom. So this refers to the hukam, the judging of Allah and the ruling of Allah. And it refers to the wisdom of Allah that Allah is ahkamul hakimin. That of all those who judge and all those who are said to have wisdom, there is none like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Laysa kamithlihi There's nothing like him. Wa huwa basir. Allah is ahkamul hakimin. 
And here the scholars, they say that this is an indication of the justice, Yawm Al-Qiyamah. Because Allah here, He mentioned how He created Bani Adam and He indicated the blessings that He gave them. The blessing of the team, of the Zaytun, the fig and the olive, the blessing of sending messengers to them, the blessing of safety and security, the blessings that they gave, he gave to them in Mecca, the blessing that he gave them in creating them as an insan, as a man or mankind with that nobility and dignity and honor. And then Allah mentioned, those who believe and they do righteous deeds. And Allah mentioned those people who they deny. Those people who deny the day of recompense. Allah then indicates the justice and the fairness that Allah will judge between the people with Yawm Al-Qiyamah. Nobody is going to judge more fairly than Allah. Nobody is going to judge more accurately than Allah. Nobody can judge more justly than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala between all those different people when they come in front of Allah and they're asked about what they did with those blessings and what they did with that honor and dignity that Allah gave them in their life, then either they will have ajrun ghayrun mamnoon, that Allah will judge for them, the hukam of Allah for them. The judgment of Allah will be ajrun ghayrun mamnoon, will be a reward that doesn't stop and doesn't decrease and isn't counted or it will be or isn't taken account for or it will be asfal safilin, the lowest of the low in the fire of Jahannam wal billah That's what Allah made easy for me to mention and Allah knows best. Wa salatu wa salam ala nabina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Jazakumullah khairan for watching. Please subscribe, share and you can visit muhammadtim.com.